sloppy second stories. Not to be confused with the sloppy third Kardashian sister that's easy to pound at three in the morning like a lamb gyro in Astoria. Queens lives. Holla! Doug Allen, represent, represent. He lives too. Thank you very much. The triggered tearjerker. I can't believe you didn't cry at the end of Rudy. Dr. Tearjerker says, Fred, a bald, bearded, stumpy, 45-year-old, recently remarried furniture salesman from Nyack, New York, replies, Was I supposed to cry? It's just a movie, Doc. Dr. Tearjerker takes a deep breath to compose himself and says, I think you're incapable of experiencing joy for others. Matt, the furniture salesman, replies, How can you say that from only talking? With me now, after I paid you $300 an hour to watch Rudy for the past two hours, <laughs> Dr. Tearjerker says, My sports moving, crying therapy, bought me my house in Nantucket, a spacious three-bedroom apartment on Upper East Side on York, and a Victorian mansion in Mount Vernon, New York. Denzel Washington's childhood stomping ground, by the way. And I'm not a Long Island hack like yourself. That's how I know, motherfucker. Matt says, Doc, take it easy. You sound like my ex-wife already. And we just met. Look, I'm only here because I just got remarried, yet my kid from the previous marriage is already causing a strain in our marital relationship already. All the melatonin gummies in the world can't help my daughter sleep better at night, regardless of whether she thinks my new wife was pretty enough to replace mommy with or not to begin with. <laughs> My new wife hates how I can't cry at the end of schmaltzy happy movies like Rudy too. And questions whether I really want to have a do-over baby with her after all. Doc says, what did the movie Rudy make you think about? Matt says, I don't know, Doc. How Vince Vaughn let his looks go to shit. I was never too into Sean Austin Green's melodramatic lisp. Regardless, if the Lord of the Rings franchise being huge, bounce back, spring for his career or not. <laughs> I thought about my dad spending more time watching the Knicks stink up the joint as a kid than helping me develop a halfway decent hookshot or believable pump fake in the post for that matter. <laughs> I thought of how my parents reserved their most emotive cheerleading efforts for my younger brother. Instead, come rain or shine, I thought about the time my mom had me get her phone, which she left in my car, only to glance at a text from my younger brother to realize she uses a nickname for me, Scoops, for my younger brother too. If your mom re-gifted a nickname to your younger brother that you thought reflected your special personalized connection to your mother, <laughs> and if you were to learn... <laughs> accidentally, when you were even spying, but felt like divine intervention, you'd realize that it was just a facade, <laughs> and that if you feel like an expendable, disposable, younger brother, the way younger brothers should feel, but I'm the big brother, and in this instance, it was very obvious, mom choosing 
my younger brother's affections over my own after discovering that after 40 years on this earth that she uses the same nickname, Scoops, her personalized touch since the dawn of time for my younger brother too. <laughs> if your mom re-gifted a nickname to your younger brother, the mama's boy, because he's always been her idealized romantic partner in love, especially based on their sloppy slow dance display at his wedding, would you have issues crying at the end of Rudy 2? Dr. Tearjerker says, how did that make you feel to learn your mom uses this same nickname on your younger brother after all these years? Matt, the furniture salesman, says, it made me feel like a used furniture salesman, a nobody in my mother's eyes, <laughs> an unwanted futon with bed bug bite marks after college. I'm more open to other forms of crying therapy doc, but watching sports movies isn't cutting it. I just want to start resenting my mother less than my wife. Since I became a dad, I started morning prayer. Yet, I'm worried about God taking my good fortune away from me. It's giving me a daughter because I don't respect thy mother's opinion on how and what I should be doing with my life when she's barely around to help with my kid in the first place. Dr. Tearjerker says, why do you resent your mother besides her not being around to help out with your daughter as much as you'd like? Matt says, whether I visit her in Florida or she visits me back east, she's always sulking or my daughter gives another jump hug, which saddens her because our bond will never be as close. Uh, I guess, not that it's my fucking fault to begin with. Fuck radical empathy, doc. <laughs> my mom's default sourpuss mode around my happiness-viewing daughter will always piss me off. More so than her misspelled text and crying about how I'm handling the weather back east after I regrettably text her another video for granddaughter sledding on her snow screamer with hardcore, funky, smoothness delight from start to finish. <laughs> Either you're excited, but you're firstborn raising a girl. I won't turn into the cum bucket drenched girl from the Fallen Angel video or not. I get it, Mom. You really wanted your favorite to have given you a grandchild instead. A granddaughter, ideally. But he was too busy snorting coke for four decades in a row, developing a mysterious stomach irritation out of the blue, yet somehow blames it on him being lactose intolerant. When all else fails, don't look yourself in the mirror to change your depraved ways. Just scapegoat fucking land the lakes. But I'm glad my mom decided... To keep the crib for my daughter Matilda in their house in Florida to symbolize positive thinking. Wish fulfillment at its finest. Well, clinging to the desperate fleeing hope of my younger brother being able to get up on coke and get his latest and greatest girlfriend pregnant accidentally. And my wife calls me the unstable one for yelling at my mom the last time she visited after insisting... I get a maid, which I can't afford, or at the same time, I'm unable to express my displeasure with my younger brother for not acknowledging my daughter's 10-year birthday whatsoever without my mom breaking out in a constellation of canker sores on my younger brother's behalf. But he's got distracting demons to contend with. All I know, Doc, is my mother will never break out into a constellation of cankosaurs over worrying on my behalf. <laughs> Doc says, why do you resent your new wife? Didn't you just get married? Matt says, I love her, Doc, but it's not her role to criticize my daughter so soon in our relationship. Four years down the road, sure, but my daughter will be out of the house by then. 
So if she chooses to live like a Slav then, it's her business, not mine. I know, I don't want to get my daughter tested for ADD. I talk this much off Adderall, Doc, I promise. <laughs> I actually stopped taking Adderall during my first marriage. To focus less on how annoying my wife can be. <laughs> Didn't make a difference, if you need to know. Doc says, look, our time is up. Matt replies, so what movie magic do you have planned for me next week, Doc? Remember the Titans? Hoosiers, perhaps? Doc says, so you feel nothing when Dennis Hopper fills in for Gene Hackman as the basketball coach after being found in his home waddling in drunken squalor prior before his son locks into his beamish, proud, piercing eyes into his pa's soul and says, I'm proud of you, Dad. Matt replies, I can't believe you get paid for this shit. Doc yells, get out of my office, you Long Island hack piece of shit. You're banned permanently, you piece of shit, deplorable. Dr. Tearjerker ends up in an insane asylum in Long Island because his revolutionary sports movie crying therapy didn't work on the furniture salesman from Nyack, which made him feel like a fluke. Another vastly depreciated average nobody despite his own mother never reusing his nickname on his younger brother to project the aura of equal, distributed, encouraged love. Now, Dr. Tearjerker sports a permanent straitjacket after trying to kill himself with a basketball pump needle one time during outdoor play at the loony bin, who spends all his days now in a white padded room, running suicide sprints with a look of extreme determination on his face, chanting, with increasing force, Rudy, 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 only to add, I still shed tears of joy for you, Rudy. And if I'm deemed crazy by New York State standards for deriving happiness from other people's success through the silver screen or not, I don't care. At least I know I'm not among the walking dead yet. Rudy, 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 holla! Thank you very much. The mixed up mozzarella man. Pizza isn't everybody's favorite food because the universe loves melted Gouda. Nobody today is waiting online to inhale entire pizza pies drenched in smoked cheeses like Gouda, unless you're a hardcore Dutch dude from Amsterdam and lower Manhattan on holiday because working Europeans get five weeks of paid vacation and have nothing better to do than try the new gastro pub in town, Crackers and Brews, which offers state-of-the-art mini pizzas on in-house made crackers to leave more room inside for perpetual IPA poundage soon after. Mozzarella will always be the most popular cheese in New York because you're not melting sharp Vermont cheddar cheese on a Villepalm hero in Soho ever. Mozzarella is the king of New York cool dominance like Lawrence Fishburne and Wesley Snipes and New Jack all wrapped up into one. <laughs> Am I being too talky again, boss? Boss says, there's no practicing shtick in the dressed up mozzarella hawking game business off St. Mark's Place kid, especially. No, you could practice your so-called routine at a plethora of open mics that the East Village in Brooklyn that Antifa hasn't planned to take over yet, who never outgrew their pyromania phase 
You could do all that in your own spare, non-billable time where you could continue to make jack shit spewing semi-coherent streams of thought and never amount to as much hilarity, mountaintops as you think. Talking mozzarella stick says, all right, boss, I'll stick to the script and only ask girls who pass me by, have you ever been sticked by Big Buster before? Because, you know, I have. But his name was Dave from Long Island, not Big Buster. Which reminds me of a fat white rapper who had no role models to emulate, really. Beastie Boys always rock skinny jeans dragging off their ankles and shit. Vanilla Ice always opted for the flaptastic fly guy, Silky Sweats. Anthrax was the backup thrash metal band for Public Enemy on Bring the Noise. And those scrappy, skinny, yet muscular metal white boys from Queens. The former breeding ground for D. Snyder from Twisted Sister, Nasty Nas, Black Sheep, Third Base. I know the list is the greatest hits one that keeps you guessing who's even bigger on the list. Next, Art Garfunkel, the angelic-sounding Jew, and Paul Simon both hail from Queens, which stings the Republican Gentile right who's jealous of creatively jack successful Jews who didn't take the Bernie Madoff route, exploiting the predatory, jewelry, blood-sucking money, stealing gene for all it is worth. But to round out the list of all-time great artists from Queens, you also have to include the consistently funny and transcendent Cindy Lauper. What's going to be a loving, gushing shout-out and out of showrunner and comedic writer, ball-busting great Doug Allen behind Entourage. He made the legendary show on HBO infinitely cooler than Wahlberg's producer name credits on it. Doug Allen is the funnier, cooler version of John Favreau. So decided to produce, direct, and write every episode, it seems, for the first season of Mandalorian. Asshole. Look, I think John Favreau deserves a shot to reimagine Boba Fett's backstory for Disney. Just for teaming up with Vince Vaughn again on Made Alone. Even more than Richard Linklater for making Daisy Confused, the pitch-perfect film to come up my senior year in high school with my old high school pinko breath and buds. But still... Asshole, if you're creatively competitive at all, knowing John Favreau directed Alf, all the Iron Mans, the majority of them, the first two at least, it wasn't too shabby and Rudy or PCU either. The big boss in charge of founding and running, Mozzarella Man, says to his mouthy, unknown, unrepresented, wannabe stand-up comedy star, if you love John Favreau so much, then write your screenplay about being Vince Vaughn's non-successful twin brother already because you look like him in a pretty good living Insomniac fashion, and leave me out of it already. Ha! Vince Vaughn lives. Thank you very much. Perverted science. Does Hollywood's fetishize push to sexualize a new generation of kids with Instagram-friendly labels, such as transcentric or gender-fluid fickle, feel very organic or child-appropriate to you? Says Joe, a 17-year-old debate stud for Richard Pryor High, a new charter school in Peoria, Illinois. Unfortunately, this alpha dog debate team peers, including his best bud, Paul. Joe is just getting his yak pipes warmed up. Adding, the problem is, with parents enabling pubescent teen mutilation makeovers in their politicized dash to let their children slash their protracted age of innocence in half, is that it never factors in irretractable buyer's remorse once little Joey blooms under his fruit of the looms, realizing he can't get his grind on with a gal on the dance floor if he wanted to, without feeling a missing link to his age of innocence and to old school 
hip-hop, banging rap in the process. Plus, whatever happened to kids being asexual from 1 through 11 at least? Also, for the scientific worship these days, in place of you-know-who, that being the almighty Hashem, uh, just to clarify, where's all the hard evidence of Chaz Bono being a beacon of mental calm since his far later in life transformation into just one of the guys? You know, the same Chaz Bono who doesn't eat wings at the bar, wishing he was at the MGM Grand in Vegas instead to hear a share belt out if I could turn back time to relieve his severe case of blue balls paralysis already. Paul finally cuts off his dear debating butt and goes in for the retaliatory attack and says, is this a debate team trial run or Joe's personalized open mic to test out more grown generating trans material for the Montreal Comedy Festival? I get it. Little boy blue in the fourth grade at nine years old isn't expected to declare his major in gender studies at Oberlin College just yet. So why should we expect him to make a life-changing decision such as sexual realignment surgery any sooner than when he turns 19? 19 is the new 15 because that's when most kids are losing their virginity these days anyway, especially since swiping for dick pics became the death of small talks on both sides of the glory hole cubby divide. I don't think the government should be allowed to intervene on their parents' behalf, though. If they start feeding their nine-year-old effeminate son enough testosterone blockers to turn him into Mayor Pete's dumpier side-up half, I bet it was Mayor Pete's idea to parade his hubby around triple mass in a Winnie the Pooh coat as if catching the China-made virus from a stiff breeze is a bigger concern for him than barebacking in the shower at the local health club on KY Jelly Street without flip-flops on for Gay Pride Swinger Week. Wait a minute. Now I'm doing trans stick material myself. Look, how can I be transphobic if I'd rather suck off Bruce Jenner with no makeup on and suck up every last demon drop than go to the Lego store with my nephews again after the coast was clear with all our masks secure on, feeling like Michael Jackson on holiday in Bahrain before magic made HIV disappear. I'm actually turned on immensely by shemales myself. And I mean that in an affectionate sense, trans you get the gist, knowing they typically possess tighter bods than most girls willing to date me. You also know trans female types have no problem swallowing because they have no other use for my love juice to begin with. Also, most girls today have blown up looking snatches by 16. So I'm not complaining about a tighter hole to not get her pregnant in either. I'd even go to the movies again. Triple mass, assuming to wipe up with, assuming they ever reopen to see a trans remake of Weird Science. <laughs> Except this time, they'd create their dream female vision come true. All over their shattered visions of rock-solid heterosexuality ever again. Still, um, talking about a made-up movie, Perverted Science. Where the doll comes to life is played by a real-life grown trans woman. Who, God forbid, is someone different than the black chick from Orange is the New Black. No offense. Who made an informed, evolved decision because he, she went to come in closer contact with the feminine side. And realize along the way how she made a better-looking chick. And if you got it, flaunt it, baby. I tried putting a pink wig on once and some makeup, some eyeliner after my girlfriend got a strap on for us to play with one night. Never in a million years did I think I would look like such a ugly, homely-looking bitch. 
Granted, when I played basketball in junior high, I used to run on my tippy toes, looking like I was running in high heels instead of high tops. But this still doesn't mean I was a gentle high stepper of any kind. If LeVar Ball was my substitute coach dad growing up, he'd still bark on the sidelines while yelling, We're trying to sell ball aware, son, not Jimmy Choo's. I think Paul and I should start selling trans jokes to Dave Chappelle because you can afford to not give a shit. We can't. Who wants to have that debate next? White comics can't get away with this material today, ever. Even Aerosmith is getting grief these days for the song Dude Looks Like a Lady, which is ridiculous because in the song Dude Looks Like a Lady, Steven Tyler takes more than a peek, proclaiming with surging, mounting, lust, oh, what a fucking lady. And I like it, like it, like it, yeah. So did Richard Pryor. He said it was the best piece of pussy Bill Maher never had. Hate speech or not, maybe I won't give up on winning a debating scholarship if Chris Rock finds a new college serving as a safe space for politically correct material. Or maybe the Donald can finance that new college to make up for his scammy uh, real estate school. To compensate for the scam real estate school and for aligned to democracy to die under his watch while not forcing a military recount uh, while he had all the power in the world, uh, knowing that he'd won fair and square, God forbid, holla, for not giving a fuck one iota and for being at one with Hashem and for speaking the truth and the entire fucking world knows it. And if you want to deny it and if you want to say, oh, I trust the media. I, I, I totally believe my children should be vaccinated right now. All these heart problems are just fake news. I'm totally willing to roll the dice because in fuckface Fauci we trust means less than in Megan McCain's dietitian we trust. Ha! Thank you very much! <laughs> the Headless Horseman. Once by a time, there's a journeyman headhunter, Sivan Kornbluth, who wasn't much of a rainmaker. He was more of a trickler. Place copywriters, major ad agencies along Madison Avenue, middling success, only for Don Draper to qualify these candidates even further. If they got past the initial phone screen with zero bullshit, cold as ice, Gentile inquiries, such as, tell me again why you haven't been fired more than a Palestinian slingshot, because your portfolio shows less promise than Jimmy Carter's solar panel powered weed display in the White House's new greenhouse garden. It was 1976. Boston broke big with more than I'm feeling. That album selling 20 million worldwide. And Peter Frampton jammed with Jimi Hendrix trippy metal type finesse on Frampton Comes Alive and on your daughter's face again and again. Assuming she looks like a less big-backed Brooke Shields with eyebrows that don't take up her entire face either. Funny enough, Fagala. Holla! Thank you very much! Zevon was married only a year. His relationship with Melissa wasn't filling him with she's the one crooning vibes anymore. Especially since blowing her hobby became a once-in-a-lifetime event like Haley's Comet or Joe Namath seeking a shrink for depression or Reggie Jackson sweating the dry-cleaning bill for his mink coat, assuming George Steinbrenner refused to pay for it out of sheer winning dependent spite alone. Every day, Michael would cold call creative directors in Manhattan to get them interested in copywriters who tired of working as 
freelance writers for Esquire because Norman Mailer had a monopoly and all the good Ali articles. They grew tired and were short story rejection letters from the New Yorker. We sucked off John Updike's short stories because he graduated Harvard and made their editors come across as less boring and annoying than usual. If only Gore Vidal's personality and erudite edge could have rubbed off on John Updike's personality and locked her up through sheer osmosis. But one day, Zevon was running late for work. There were one too many bourbons at a strip club in Times Square. It's called Honeysuckle Divines. He lit a cigarette on the subway path, totally oblivious to his surroundings. And before he knew it, a Metro cop smacked the cigarette out of his mouth with such force, he accidentally knocked him over down to the subway track before having the Lux line knock his head right off from his perpetually tense, growl-heavy, internalized neck. That was reminiscent of Albert Brooks's neck out of the womb. The problem is, the headless headhunter was really looking forward to his best friend Ari's bachelor party at Honeysuckle Divines in Times Square the following night, which is why he was there in the first place. He's got some local stripper talent. He could recruit to talk his best friend out of marrying his fiance, knowing he could do better, and was settling for the meh new thing. More importantly, the headless headhunter knew what a sigh heavy living hell his life was sent into once he allowed his parents to push this enormous life-ruining decision on his behalf, such as who to marry, what job to take, and when to make up with his younger brother again, thereby losing all enviable sense of righteous, self-assured, pissed-off rage. Whenever he felt duly entitled to feel that way, then any guilt imbibe parental interference to make him second-guess his innermost guttural instincts again and again. For example, Zivon was a struggling recruiter. Normally, didn't hit his monthly quota and was always coming from behind. So he didn't have enough money to buy his future wife an engagement ring and only got one after his mom pressured him to do so, assuring he could pay her back after the wedding, which felt more forced off for him than the time he tried taking up the ass of the strap on of his girlfriend, later wife, only from the question whether something extra was missing from this relationship, if this added stimulation was necessary for him to get excited about going through the motion of pulverizing her slippery snatch again. On her birthday. Now, the bachelor party is in motion, yet Ari isn't in the most festive mood since his best friend Zivon, now known as the Headless Headhunter, was just decapitated by New York's closest version of a bullet train. The Headless Headhunter is in the bedroom, but doesn't know how he ended there. And in front of the mirror, he realizes he has no head as he overhears some dudes in the nearby bathroom stall talk about seeing Kiss at MSG. As king of the nighttime world, Blair's in the background. One of the Kiss fans in the bathroom stall whips out some coke and says, Dude, you gotta take off your jean mask if you want to do some of this blow. The guy with the jean mask on flings it over the bathroom stall, landing smack in the middle of the sink, which the headless headhunter grabs with zero hesitation and throws over his headless head to see if it sticks. And it does. The headless headhunter bolts from the bathroom and bumps into a stripper with huge tits, which are so humongous they almost knock him on his ass from the sheer force of jiggly might alone. The stripper says, Watch where you're going, Gene. I thought you had a show at MSG tonight. Is it true? What they say about your tongue? The headless headhunter decides to play along in his Gene Simmons character and says, Yes, I could tongue my own balls if I were into that sort of thing. But I'm only into licking up playmates and groupies like in Bang Standing Up with my chosen blast circumcised love gun to blast with more gunky, fun-filled fun all night long. Every day, too, is pushing it. Stripper says, I'm only working tonight for a bachelor party. It's normally my night off. 
I just got my tickets to see your band at the garden tonight, Gene. Can I call you Gene? The headless headhunter says, let's stick to Love Gun Master for now. But do me a favor. Give The Bachelor Ari more than a lap dance. Give him every reason why getting married to his fiance is the worst idea than Neil Young starting shit with Leonard Skinner before Leonard Skinner wrote his comeback song, which metaphorically speaking, turned Neil Young into his uh, Canadian cunt in the can. She wants him to abandon his dreams of becoming the Jewish Bob Newhart. And he's blessed with the funny Jew bone. Also, she's already moaning by having to constantly walk in eggshells around him, acting as if she's the helpless Olympic athlete during the Iran hostage crisis. His fiance is a Gentile too, so there's no way she's going to be coached with raising her kids Jewish either, which he'll bang out by mistake because he got stoned again to, to some Lenny Bruce records, forgetting to ask if she's on the pill or not. Plus, I met his future English mother-in-law, and she's less original than a Kiss cover band with a Gene Simmons character crazy glued on a prosthetic tongue because that was a bright idea on Too Much Acid one night. That's why me never doing any drugs in my life. Last, his fiance zero tits, which offers Ari zero sustained stiffage one year into the relationship already. I just hate the idea of Ari losing his edge to become another ordinary sales rep, selling pharmaceuticals for a living for Big Pharma because his future CFO father-in-law can make a phone call at Johnson & Johnson on his behalf. The stripper says, I'll ride his joystick off for you, no problem, love gun master. By the time I'm done with the fiance friend, he'll be drained dry Till Yom Kippur. The headless headhunter says, That's funny. Only through you. Can I finally call myself a rainmaker after all? Holla! Jeffrey Gitmore Lives wrote the Little Red Book of Selling. Thank you!